0: this episode is a conversation with john powers and Deepa lounsbury of extensible energy we talked about the history of demand response solutions and how that demand response piece is transitioning to a new term load flexibility and where we are on that spectrum today as john said we're seeing more change in the last 24 months than we saw in the last 24 years then we took a bit of a deep dive into demand x Extensible Energy's product, and how it's especially suited for the small buildings market below 100,000 square feet in area, which is about 98% of the buildings in the U.S., but is mostly untapped today from a technology standpoint. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Extensible Energy. All right. Hello, John and Deepa. Welcome to the show. Let's start with you, John. Can you introduce yourself, please?
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really happy to be here. I'm John Powers. I'm the co founder and CEO of Extensible Energy. I've been an energy nerd all my life, been um, in energy for more than 30 years, about half that time as a consultant, half that time as a software entrepreneur. I've worked in demand response and energy efficiency and renewables for pretty much that whole time. And I'd say the, the thing that excites me most about, you know, talking about what we're doing now, so the industry has changed more in the last 24 months than it has in the last 24 years. And, you know, it's, it's a slow moving industry, but things are really starting to happen. And it's an exciting time to be talking about load flexibility and the rest. So looking forward to it.
0: Cool. Yeah. And we're going to dig into your company, Extensible Energy. Let's go over to you, Deepa, though first. Can you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, thanks, James. Uh, I really, really appreciate being on your podcast. Um, I've learned a lot from past episodes, and appreciate how you're bringing the whole industry together. My role here at Extensible Energy is I'm the director of products here. I started here about three and a half years ago. Before that, you know, I started off my career in sort of traditional finance as an investment banker. And then 15 years ago, I started off on sort of the investment side of climate technologies. So I worked at a small venture capital firm called Angelina Group, investing in all the different technologies that were really supposed to save the planet. (laughs) And from that moment, I really got hooked on the industry because I got to explore, you know, biofuels, recycling technologies, solar, wind, and realized that there is enough here to keep me very intellectually stimulated for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With another billion people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I went to Thailand, had a short stint there, have, you know, brought back a, a Thai dog who's sitting right next to me right now. Okay. Um, and, you know, during my my time as a as a venture capitalist, I realized that you know, it seemed like all the entrepreneurs were having the fun (laughs) in terms of actually commercializing the technologies. So I wanted to be on the the product innovation, technology commercialization side of things. So I got my master's degree in energy and resources from Berkeley, got to fill in some of the technical gaps that I felt like I had, and then started at Enphase working on a residential energy storage product. Um, I also worked at GE on their distributed energy platform, spent a little bit of time on the the grant-making side of things, funding early-stage clean technology entrepreneurs, and yeah, and now I'm here helping make load flexibility the big thing that it should be.
0: (laughs) All right. My friend has a um, Japanese cat, so he's in the Air Force, went to Japan, and came back with a cat, and this cat is the coolest cat, and so... I tell my cat that she she wants to be like K-Bob when she grows up. She's an American cat, you know, not that cool. Uh, Thai dog. That's funny. Um, so John, I'd love to go back to you. So you, 30 years in the industry, it sounds like on the utility side, mostly, but also building side as well. And now Sensible Energy sits in between those two. Can you talk a little bit more about the things that you've done in, in the industry before? before founding Extensible Energy?
1: Sure. Yeah. Before founding Extensible, my first job out of college was in the rates department of an electric utility, Portland General Electric up in Portland, Oregon. So I learned how utilities make rates. I'm an economist by training. And so I understand utility pricing and electricity pricing. Electricity is funny stuff. It's hard to price because it's virtually impossible to store. It's not like wheat or other things. So I know a lot about wholesale and retail utility electricity pricing. I went to Quantum Consulting, which was a startup consulting company, helped grow that from three people up to 150, working on load research, DSM program evaluation, you know, demand side management program evaluation, demand response programs, and always in the background, we had a little bit of software going on at that time too. And we saw some real opportunities for the software. So I I led a spin out from Quantum to a company called Energy Interactive, where I was the CEO and co-founder of a software business that helped utilities to engage with their customers, put some of the first really interesting online applications Behind utility websites, so they could engage with their customers better—residential, commercial, industrial—the whole nine yards. And we sold that company on favorable terms to ABB. So I worked for ABB for a few years as their director of retail software, and um, then I figured out that I'm not really a large European conglomerate kind of guy, and it was you know started to get the itch again to do my own thing, and here we are. So that that's a perhaps incomplete, but a pretty representative sample of where I've been over the years.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, let's bring this full circle then. When did you start Extensible Energy and why? So I started Extensible Energy as just a
1: one-person LLC for me to do some consulting with my old utility contacts. But in 2016, we got a grant from the U.S. Department of Energy to work on software problem that i've been interested for a long time so we got what's called department of energy small business innovation research grant sbir grant and that kind of started us down the software path again and they give you the money in two tranches they give you a grant to do a proof of concept which was basically nothing more than a simulation model of what we wanted to do okay and then they gave us a lot more money to go build a working prototype and get it working in real building. And that's the core technology that became demand X, which is the product we're commercializing now. Okay. And when was this? That was late 2016. Okay. So we've been working on this for about five years and the, the core technology has been vetted by the U S department of energy and a bunch of other folks as a, a, big innovation in how buildings are controlled and how it can help to integrate more renewables um, into buildings
0: and into the grid. Cool. And Deepa, you joined a little bit after that?
2: Yeah, just three and a half years ago, pretty much exactly.
0: Okay. And I came across you guys when I was at NREL and I've been intrigued by the idea. And obviously on the podcast, we've been kind of exploring this topic of, of load flexibility for a lot of 2021. So this podcast will go live in 2022. But so last year, <laughs> we did several episodes that we'll put in the show notes around demand flexibility that this is kind of going to build on. I'd love to look at this. I don't think I've done this from a historical perspective yet. So John, I'm probably looking to you here, but we, you, you've you done all this in demand management. And the, from my perception, I mean, when I started out in energy management, there were demand management programs, right? The ability to get a signal from a utility and curtail something, right? And sometimes that was automated, sometimes it wasn't. But that sort of paradigm has now shifted into load flexibility. Could you talk about what that means and and why that has happened?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the initial demand response products or programs of boy, 30 years ago or more, uh, were really designed as a way to help utilities not have to build more and more capacity for the very, very highest peak of the year. So you would get these programs where customers were paid to curtail their loads you know, three or four times a year on the hottest day of the year. And that would help the utility not have to build a new peaker plant that was turned off most of the time and in rate base all the time. So Those programs were extremely manual, tended to be, they featured mostly industrial customers, although there were some that reached down into residential and commercial. They were mostly industrial, mostly manual, mostly you'd pick up the phone, call the shift manager and say, could you send the next shift home at the rock crusher or other big industrial facility? We'll pay pay you for all that electricity you're not going to use. And that was demand response. So as time has progressed, there has been a lot more automation. So you could now have millions of residential customers participate in what is essentially that same program three or four times a year could we please shut off or reduce the usage of your air conditioner could we please raise the temperature in your house just a few degrees so that we can avoid building another power plant three or four times a year so yes the the progress towards automation has continued but the innovation in what the application is really used for is only happening now, which is once you get a building under better control, you can respond to anything. It can be a local signal or a grid signal. And now buildings and the grid are moving towards being one truly connected electrical grid system so that any minute of the day, your building, your house, your industrial facility, any kind of facility can look at the price signals coming from the grid or the control signals coming from the grid and make changes to how your um equipment is behaving and you'd never even know it you can just you know put that all in the background and the grid adjusts to its needs seamlessly that's the path we're on that's you know where i want to end up is a uh, uh truly multi-way interactive grid instead of this sort of one-way command and control grid.
0: Totally. And, and where are we at? Like if we look at the United States, for instance, this is a very probably impossible question to answer, but maybe you can summarize like, what are the current trends here? Like where, where are we at today on that transition to a fully flexible grid?
1: So this is why I said what I did at the beginning is in the last 24 months things have changed more than the last 24 years is really up until a couple of years ago I'd have said we were somewhere between stage 1 and stage 2 of those of that development either guys being called on the phone to shut off rock crushers or maybe in some places some automated control of thermostats a few times a year but over the last 24 months the the whole whole energy community and increasingly the building community is waking up to the idea that to accommodate all the wind and solar that we have already committed to on the grid, the load side, the demand side of the grid has to become much more flexible. And so the the combination of driving need on the renewables side and big technological trends IoT frameworks, cloud computing, cheaper sensors and networks, all these things are pointing in the direction of it's getting easier and easier to make buildings react in ways that are favorable to the grid. So there's there's a long way to go, but we are we have just started down the exciting third phase path.
2: Yeah, and I might add that, you know, I feel like there's old school versus new school. You know, demand response or demand side flexibility. Old school is, as John described, pick up the phone. Maybe maybe they'll respond. Maybe not. Don't ask too much. New school is really integrating buildings into what the grid really needs: dynamic signals and more real time stuff. Um, and parallel related to new school, old school versus new school decarbonization as well. Right. You know, you had Kara Carmichael talk about 24-7 zero carbon building. So matching the building with the renewable energy on the grid. All of these things are absolutely connected. And the more intermittent renewables we get on the grid, the more responsive our buildings and our demand side need to be to that.
0: Yeah, if we just kind of frame this and why should building owners care, right? It's first they're going to be able to monetize that flexibility, so it's not just it's not just let's altruistically help the grid out, right? It's well, it's monetized. Well that's, the flexibility. well, that's
1: exactly right because I mean you can monetize now against demand charges, time of use rates, any of the fixed tariffs that are out there today. And that's not demand response. This is irrespective of what the utility or grid operator is asking, there's a published book that says what your price of using too much power at any one moment is. That's a demand charge. So you and I pay for kilowatt hours at home, right? But a commercial building pays up to half of its um, total electricity bill based on the highest 15 minutes of use during the entire month that's called a demand charge. And that's kind of, uh, it, it's a tax on bad controls is how we see it. It's if you're, if you're not aware of what your usage is minute by minute, you can't control your 15 minute demand for the month. So that, that's where the initial monetization for everybody but certainly for us is coming from is the ability to control demand charges because once you get a building under better control, you can respond to signals that are more sophisticated, like real-time pricing or other grid signals. But right now, we're definitely saving our customers a, a bunch of money just off of demand,
0: um, demand charge management. And the ability to monetize is only going to get better as it moves from demand management to flexibility? Is that how to think about it?
1: So you can think about it one of two ways, right? It's going to be more expensive to ignore this problem. is okay. As, yeah. as, going to be more. Right. So the utilities and the the grid that we are building now is going to have greater time differentiated pricing than it does now. There's going to be more difference between the times that are cheapest and the times that are most expensive than is true today. We already have that in wholesale electricity markets. And one of the projects I'm really, really excited to be working on is this thing called the California Load Flexibility Research and Deployment Hub, which is such a mouthful that they just came up with calflexhub.org and that's how they talk about it now, is they're gonna be bringing real-time price signals from the wholesale market into the retail market with a whole series of technology improvements and then demonstration projects to actually push this out into the market. And this isn't a 2030 project. This is happening this year and next and the year after. So this stuff is coming at customers much faster than they think. And, you know, that's and that's the tip of the iceberg because yes you'll be having your your tariffs or the rates you're paying change quickly but your building is changing too we, we all have we all live in states where renewable portfolio standards are way up decarbonization goals are extremely ambitious if your building is heated with gas and will soon be heated with heat pumps electric heat pumps if your building right now has a parking lot for gas cars, but is about to have electric vehicle chargers all over the place. If your building heats its hot water with with gas today and electricity tomorrow, all these are huge changes in how your building uses energy and how you should be making energy-related decisions.
2: Yeah, and, and James, another way of answering your question, why should a building owner care? A quote from a property manager, at CBRE, looking at my electricity bill is so complicated. I know that my my year over year increase in electricity is 26%, but I have no idea why. Mm. Um, So why are those rates complicated? You know, why are they so hard to decipher? Why have they been going up? Those are the things that demand flexibility can answer.
0: Well, and, and I think uh, about adding like the another layer here, which is if I'm an organization and either a tenant or a landlord or whatever type of building you're talking about here, if my organization has carbon targets, then I have to figure out at some point, maybe it's maybe this isn't the low-hanging fruit, maybe it's further down the line. I have to figure out at some point how to match my demand with renewable supply at some point.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we have integration with WattTime that gives real-time carbon intensity mm-hmm. metrics for every for kilowatt hours used at specific times of day. And so you can choose to just use cleaner kilowatt hours with your flexible. So for folks that want to optimize for emissions intensity reduction, that's another benefit.
0: Well, let's talk about the product. So DemandX is the product. Can you talk about what it is? First, without, without getting into, just without jargon, can we, can we explain it in this most simple way possible?
1: <laughs> let, let me give it a try. You know, you tell okay. me when I get too jargony. Um, right.
0: Basically,
1: uh, it's an energy management control system that controls all of the flexible loads in a commercial building. Flexible loads, usually we think of as heating, ventilation, and cooling is the biggest one in most buildings today. The ones I talked about that are coming down the road, electric vehicle charging, and certainly water heat and stationary batteries in some cases, which are not big in small to medium commercial buildings today, but could become bigger. So we control those resources that are flexible, those loads that are flexible to minimize your uh, electricity bill and potentially to maximize your benefit from uh, demand response or other market opportunities. So you can reduce cost, increase revenue from participating in utility or other electricity markets. How we do it? is we watch the demand all the time. We watch the one minute usage of your building, minute by minute, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Demand charge management is hard. You can't blow it even once, one 15 minute interval in the whole month will ruin your entire savings. So we watch everything carefully. We have a forecast of what the whole building load is gonna be, a forecast if there is solar of what the solar is gonna be, put all that into an optimizer and we control all the loads to keep your demand charges low. Okay.
0: So when in the Nexus world, we call this advanced supervisory control, which is an acronym that I think I've made up, but I often, there's so many acronyms that I don't know which ones I made it up or which ones came from others. So maybe I did, maybe I didn't, doesn't matter. Uh, But the point is that there are existing systems in an existing right. building that this system sits on top of, right, yep. and it does something in a supervisory way that's in addition to what the existing control systems are doing, essentially. That is
1: a perfect way to describe it. I'm going to steal that because Please do. because the, the beauty of Demand X is that it is not a replacement for any of the things you've already put in your building. Yeah. We try to not require any type of retrofit beyond the very minimum. You don't have to change the HVAC equipment. You don't have to change the lights or the battery or anything else. It'll work with existing building energy management systems if there is one. And if there isn't one, it's a simple sort of rip and replace of dumb thermostats with smart wireless communicating thermostats. And that's it. One day installation for the ability to control basically all the flexible loads in the building. That was key to us because this is a product, not a project. So we target the small to medium commercial space because it's, everybody else targets the Salesforce Tower or the Sears yeah. Tower or something, right? That's project economics. That's fine business for somebody else. Product economics is we've got 665,000 buildings in the United States that we have to get this into. Those are the, you know, small to medium commercial buildings that are big enough to need something like this and small enough not to require just ridiculous levels of precious little snowflake engineering. So, we're we're all about making this as easy to drop into a building as possible.
0: Cool. And I'd love to know, was the focus on smaller buildings because of the original DOE grant, or was that a a focus area that you were like, we need to focus on this literally, like you just said, because no one else is?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I I wouldn't
0: say no one else is, but I
1: I think too many people are focused on the Mm -hmm. giant, you know, sort of marquee projects because they look better on your website to say the Salesforce Tower than it does to say, You know, a car dealership in Colorado or a church in the Central Valley of California. But, you know, we saw a huge unmet need for those buildings to have a simpler, lighter touch way to manage their energy and demand. So I I think it had more to do with being able to encapsulate it into a product instead of something that is, you know, you send all the PhD graduate students to scoot around a big building for a couple of years and then you've got a beautifully controlled project you can write a thesis about well I, it just didn't interest me I, I wanted to make a product that could be rolled out to the you know hundreds of thousands of buildings without without all that fuss yeah, yeah
2: and I'll just I'll add that you know Cvex estimate estimates that 97.7% of buildings are 100,000 square feet or smaller. Yep. And so not only do those buildings deserve many of the benefits that come with you know, the supervisory control, it's also just really necessary from a climate change perspective to address those 97% of the 6 million buildings, commercial buildings yeah. uh, in the United States.
0: Yeah, so the latest version of CBEX, has not come out yet and will probably not have come out by the time this gets published. I don't think, I think it's in the spring, but the last version said that this, so I've studied the, by the time this comes out, there will be a white paper that we produced on buildings under 50,000 square feet. And those buildings are like 5.9 million out of the six, something like that. Right. In the U S and they use 44% of the energy consumption. They're about 49% of the square footage. So yeah, it's a massive, massive opportunity. It's, and it's fascinating too. It's an extremely complex, really, really complex problem, which is, I'll point people to our white paper to, to dig into.
2: We want to democratize energy management. You know, we think everybody, every building should have it.
0: Cool. And while we're on this topic, what are the like unique dynamics of the smart building space from your guys' perspective that maybe don't apply to to bigger buildings?
1: Yeah. So I mean, the the ability to put something in without having a dedicated facilities manager is really important. Yeah. A lot of these places have property management firms which means remote management in most cases somebody comes by when absolutely needed or to check up among the other dozen dozens of buildings they're checking on so it can it has to be simple it has to be understandable by folks who are not facilities professionals and you know it has to work seamlessly it has to work behind the scenes without generating so much fuss that you can't stick to your business. So we, okay. we target office, retail, church, school, conditioned warehouse, municipal building, anything in that sort of 25,000 to a couple hundred thousand square feet. And the folks running a retail store, the folks running a car dealership, a church, a school are not thinking about energy unless something has gone wrong. So this has to be very seamless at work in the background. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and the two things I'll add is often for the smaller buildings, the the building owner or the pastor or um, someone who's yeah. not an energy expert will be the one who's in charge wow. of energy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of them are just exhausted by trying to figure this all out, trying to decipher their utility bill, trying to figure out, should I turn stuff on or off? Who do I trust? Can I trust my employees to manage this for me? So, so to take off some of that exhaustion and say, we're a bunch of energy nerds, let's manage, manage this for you. You know, it's something unique about smaller buildings that don't have the capacity, the luxury of having an energy manager. And the other piece is that often the the smaller buildings are a little, not always, but but can be closer to the financial edge. So Mm. they have time Mm. to search for new technologies, adopt them, but would benefit most from smarter energy controls.
0: Got it. Something that can pay back quicker and be less of a financial investment.
1: Well, right. And this is, you know, this is a one year or less payback investment in all the buildings that we're in. So it's a very simple economic decision for the customer to once they see that it's, it works and is as easy as we're saying. So the, the, you know,
0: I'll leave it there. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet, but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexislabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Cool. So you guys mentioned that you start with HVAC, you know, this, where this is headed is starting to control everything. Can you talk about how the HVAC works? And let me set the stage here. So when, when I studied this market, you have all of the single zone packaged, really simple HVAC systems that, you know, drive around, In a small town, you see little tiny carrier rooftop units everywhere, right? Those are single zone systems, traditionally not controlled very well. There's like standalone thermostat and then standalone programmable thermostat. And now we have this wave of internet connected Mm -hmm. thermostats. But then you have in that space that you guys talked about, it starts to get into that more complex sort of commercial multi-zone VAV centralized system space. Sure. So can you talk about like where do you guys play? Do you play across the whole spectrum or how does that work? Yeah, we have to play across the whole spectrum because
1: we have to control whatever it is that we find in the HVAC systems in the buildings. So we work with VAVs and VRF and the the most common is still sort of a one-to-one mapping between thermostats and packaged units, but many of them in one facility. So the the trick there is, of course, to make sure they're not all coming on at once because that would set a demand peak. Mm -hmm. The trick is to make sure that everybody is comfortable even while you're sort of modulating some of the usage in some zones and, and ramping it up in others. So yes, we have to work across that spectrum and usually the one to one to one thermostat to zone to rooftop unit are the ones where we have to do a rip and replace because there's you know there whoever the energy management system there is whoever had the biggest thumb the last time they walked by the thermostat that that's your That's your energy control system. And we we can help those guys a lot. So we love finding those buildings. Ones we like best hands down are the ones where you find the locked plastic box over the thermostat. And the very, very cream of the crop is when you find the Locked plastic box with the bent paperclip on top for somebody who's going in anyway and making changes to the system. So that means that the building is poorly controlled. Yeah. There's conflict about comfort. There's conflict about energy usage. There's all this sort of, you know, band aid on band aid systems that we can, in a single day, turn into something much more simple to control. And, and, again, it's not always, we think of all the fancy modeling and all our fancy predictions as being our value add, but sometimes our customers just say what Deepa said, which is I was exhausted from worrying about, I noticed that my my employees would leave the air conditioning on, on Saturday when we're closed on Sunday and the thing would be on all weekend. And now I know better. And you can say, well, that's just scheduling, but the scheduling interfaces on most thermostats are like the VCRs of the last century, which is nobody ever does program. Just because they're programmable doesn't mean anybody's programming them. Yeah. You have to have a central system where you can look at them all, make sure they're all off at the right time, and you know, control it from a familiar web interface instead of worrying
0: about, you know, who, who touched it last. I'll vouch for that. I just moved in a new house and it has a programmable thermostat and I'm six weeks in and I haven't programmed it yet because I don't want to feel like figuring out how to do it. Uh, I'm like, I'm like the energy management system every day. I have my schedule that's in my head and I just go mess with the set point. I'm not ashamed of saying that because like you're saying, the user interface is so terrible. It would take me way too long to figure out how to actually schedule it you'd have to redo it every season and then you'd have to redo it within the season every time
1: there was a change to daylight savings time and all the rest yeah. of it, right? So it's just yeah. not built for, for the real world anymore. Exactly.
0: So Deep, let's hear about this from a product standpoint. I think John said fancy predictions. <laughs> can you can you talk about how this this actually works behind the scenes?
2: Yeah. At its core, what we're doing is changing when flexible loads in buildings use electricity, right? And so the simplest way of saying it is we're learning from the past, which means that we're learning about the thermal dynamics of that building, the usage patterns, the equipment, you know, is it a new HVAC system or is it 30 years old? All of these things are really important to figure out how to control a building. And how to ensure that the occupants are, are comfortable and we're following their schedules. We also do the prediction and the forecasting, right? To understand, you know, what is the rate structure that's going that that we're we're about to enter into? What is going to be the weather? Are we going to need the HVAC system? What's the solar production if they're solar? And, and in many cases, what's the carbon intensity? So we take all of these things in as inputs and then send a control signal to you know the HVAC units through by changing set points on the thermostat. So we send signals to the HVAC units or other flexible loads in the building to optimize for all of those things, schedules, rates, all of those things.
0: Okay, so what should a given set point in a given room or on a given system be at right now? What's the optimal point? given all of these inputs essentially i
2: mean that is very very subjective right at the time of implementation we we sit with the customer and we figure out what is their desired temperature range for each zone and it can be very different for a sanctuary and office building a showroom for a car dealership but we do operate within ranges, and we find that, you know, compared to prior to installation, usually we're staying closer to their desired set point than they were before, but we do operate within a range. Okay,
0: cool. And so when I looked on your guys' website, I came across this like, Pre-cooling virtual battery concept. Can you right. talk about how that piece works? A lot of people think, oh, I can't do a load of flexibility because I don't have a battery. How, yeah. how does this concept work?
2: Yeah. So I mean, I like to say, um, use what your mama gave you. you know? <laughs> like, your building is a battery, right? That's the
0: quote of the episode. We always do a quote <laughs> and that's gonna be it.
2: Yeah. Your building is a battery. Like every building is a battery. Your wall, the thermal mass of your building is a one to five hour battery. And so everyone has the opportunity to to utilize that. You know, you're going to, you're going to keep heat in for a little while, even if you turn off your HVAC, some of your HVAC units for a little while. So I, I do want to say, yes, we do help that building plan ahead by pre-cooling. That's one of the things that we do. And I look at load profiles every day, see that a lot of buildings with building energy management systems often do set their peaks in the morning, you know, at 7am, like all the HVAC units turn on, but that's only one control strategy, right? There are many, many different control strategies. For example, there's sort of the Noticing that you're about to set a demand that's going to cost your building thousands of dollars in one minute and still having 14 minutes to correct for that. And so that rapid response, responsiveness to reality is also another element of it.
0: And how do you guys make this concept scalable, right? You've talked about churches, car dealerships. We have a lot of those in in the U.S.
2: Uh,
0: (laughs) 17,000. Okay. If you're listening to this from outside the US, we have a lot of churches and we have a lot of car dealerships. <laughs> There's a lot of those. So how do you guys make this to where I don't, like as an energy engineer working on your team, have to look at every building to make the decision on what that control sequence is?
1: So, yeah. So the 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 thing we were talking about earlier is the, the learning through looking at usage patterns and that's not us that's our machine learning algorithms that are looking at those usage patterns we we have automated the ability to tell what zone has what kind of thermal capacity mm-hmm. what can be sort of you know when you turn off one zone temperature might increase very quickly another zone it might incre- increase very slowly all that stuff is modeled out without having to do that manually so the machine learning is, you know, it's a fancy fancy word, but it's critical to our business. We are learning the thermal parameters, the uncontrolled loads. So we need to have a good prediction of what the loads we're not in control of are going to do so that we can control around them. And then in the case of solar, we also have a machine learning algorithm that does the predictions for what the solar is gonna be because one cloud can wreck your whole month of savings too. Right. So it it's it's the automation that makes this scalable for sure and this is an and you know everybody talks about artificial intelligence replacing jobs this is replacing jobs that aren't being done. So our artificial intelligence is watching every minute what's going on in every zone every temperature load of the whole building output of the solar if you have it and making calculations out multiple hours into the future as to what your best usage right now is to keep your demand low for the whole day. Again, humans can do it, except no, they can't. Because again, humans have jobs and humans would have to dedicate their entire day to watching a bunch of data that they don't usually have much access to. It's much better to put that up in a brain in the cloud and let that handle all the decisions for the building for you and if there's a change in schedule or an override that says you have to have this one room cooler right now, you can override anything we're doing, no problem. But you, you don't want to spend your you want to spend your day managing by exception, not managing every little decision.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And the other thing I'll add to that is that designing this product for a radically simple installation and implementation. is, you know, in our DNA, right? You know, we've all seen tons of academic projects where they install tons and tons of sensors and make every building perfect. We've simplified the installation. So there's basically, we just need minute level energy monitoring and a gateway, which means that it's low CapEx. And then the fact that we don't need a million sensors and that much stuff installed in the building and that it's accessible for a bigger audience, including tenants, by the way, means that it, it it's, we try to design for scalability.
0: And per, so pretend I'm your pastor. You're talking to me on the phone. I just purchased off your website and you're about to send me your thing. What, what do I have to do to set this up?
2: a good good question. And we've done this a few times (laughs) (laughs) here right now with another pastor, you know, we, we still do have a field operations team because we do need a minute level energy monitoring device that does need to be installed by an electrician, but we basically schedule an installation. It could be, you know, next week and we need to put in the energy monitoring device. And then potentially a gateway and and if it's, it's a very small church that has the the thumb control thermostats that John was referring to earlier then we replace those thermostats with smart compatible thermostats okay. and then we learn for a month and then after that we start making your building we start actually taking control actions to make your building smarter, more efficient, more dynamic, and more, more comfortable. Okay.
1: We already have some partners who can do this themselves. So it's not like we're having to, you know, build a huge force of people in trucks to go do all of this. So we're working Nationwide, we have probably about as many customers outside of California as in, and a bunch of them are in Colorado because we've got a great partner in Colorado who could do a lot of this work themselves. And every time we do a site, we improve the documentation and the process. We try and everybody's job is to knock another step out of the process. So simplify, simplify, simplify to get it to the point where. We we haven't got it to the point where you can do a self-install in most buildings because there aren't skilled electricians in most buildings yet. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you're if your facility has an electrician, you can just call that person in and we can document the whole process and they can do it. Same with the HVAC technician that you're using. That person can put the thermostats in, no problem if they're required at all. And the you know the integration between our gateway and the existing um, building management system is ten minutes. It's basically reading um, Backnet over IP in most cases, so reading and writing Backnet over IP, which is super simple to plug in. You know, all the work is being done in the cloud and by our own engineers. So the on-site work is is simpler every time we do it, and one-day install is is just the beginning. We want to have a half-day install, then we want to have a two-hour install, yeah. then we want to have a one-hour install, and so forth. So we're we're cranking away to make this simpler every time.
0: So when you say your partners, you're talking about like a local contractor that offers this as one of their products that they... Yes. yes. Okay.
1: So we, we work with partners because um, it increases the spread that we can cover mo- very easily. So our first partners were in the solar industry because this fits very well with solar. Solar is great at saving energy, but not demand. So we have some partners in the solar industry. We have partners in the HVAC and controls industry because it's a perfect complement to the the products and services they're already providing. And then we're working with some IT folks who are interested as well.
0: Cool. So, Let's talk about the the savings aspect of this, right? So the old paradigm, right, is that I save money on my demand charge on my utility bill. And then we're moving into more like you talked about with like getting paid, right? So how do you guys kind of capture the revenue streams that could come out of this or how does that work?
1: We we try and leave plenty on the table, right? We, we want it to be an easy decision for the customer. So we provide the service as a, Fixed upfront fee and a fixed monthly fee depending on the size of the building. So it's a very simple, simple to understand, simple to approve and buy uh, system. So we're not doing shared savings. We're not doing a calculation based on, you know, every little difference between your building and the rest. There's one price for small, medium, large, extra large buildings within our categories we talked about earlier. And then there are some add-ons based on the additional complexity of things like solar battery car chargers things that are okay. major changes add some number of dollars per month but the, the basic come from basic the ideas uh, you know a small number of thousands of dollars up front and a small number of hundreds of dollars per month
0: okay and the savings would come from the bill through the utility directly Yeah, the customer at the moment saves exclusively through their
1: utility, you know, their utility bill. But that's just the economic side, right? We really have heard from our customers that they value four things, not one. So the four C's we're we're calling them basically. It's comfort because all energy management systems have to maintain comfort in the building, or there's no. Point. Comfort control, because as I said before, a lot of these folks seem like they they feel like they're out of control, both of the operation of their systems and of the costs of those systems. Cost for sure. And then carbon, as as Deepa said, helping a lot of these businesses hit their sustainability goals is a very important priority for them, too. So if you if you can help the business with four problems at once instead of just one, the the offering is much stickier. You know, people don't cancel after they start saving money and feeling better comfort and control. They mm-hmm. are, you know, just gonna stick with the product.
0: And then where does like the I'm gonna sell this building's flexibility aspect. To come into this. Is that a future capability, or, or- that's
1: a near future capability? So we're um, going through the um, process of integrating some of the demand response protocols that are already in the market into our software. That's a next quarter thing, and we're working with providers of demand response, you know, to add that capability to. To our customers and and theirs, right? So, the full-on load flexibility markets are probably still a year or two away. Okay. So, I, I talk about demand response as kind of the in, you know the intermediate version we talked about in the middle there, yeah. but the full-on load flexibility as a service that provides money to the building in California, it's no more than a year or two away. The rest of the country, a year or two behind that. I think California will show the whole um, country through CalFlex Hub and other initiatives that are going on that this is not as um, futuristic as people think. This can this can be done now. Interesting.
0: All right, yeah. I'm excited about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So me too. Me too. It's you know it's what I've been waiting most of my uh, career for a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to, before we close out, talk about a couple of compelling case studies, stories from these types of customers. So I think this audience, the fact that we talked about the small buildings market earlier could be a little bit of a surprise to them. But let's talk about like what you've actually seen in some of these and some success stories from doing this in, in their buildings. So do you have any 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 great stories to start with?
2: Yeah, I'll start with a couple. And, you know, these two are kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what equipment exists in them or existed in them before implementation. The first one's on the really simple side, right? So we, and simple is not supposed to be negative, (laughs) Uh, but, you know, there's a, a church in the Central Valley that was, you know, we installed two years ago. That building is it, it, a small church in a very you know modest income area. They have no facility manager, no building energy management system. It's basically the pastor and a few volunteers that were managing energy. They also didn't have smart thermostats, but they did get solar. And so they got solar and they were, Surprise! After the solar was installed, that their bill was still so high, and so we looked at their building. They were considering a battery, but that battery would have cost a hundred thousand dollars, and they were looking for mainly the economic value proposition rather than you know, backup power. And so we noticed that their peaks are being set by event-driven HVAC loads. You know, like many churches, they have their peaks. On, they have events on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. evenings, and then the, you know, preschool and then the one-off weddings and funerals right. um, at the church. So there we, you know, took out the old thermostats, put in new ones, and, you know, basically started, started control. You know, we have the gateway, the, the minute-level energy monitoring, and we made that a X the Cook building We save that building 30% on their demand charges, which ends up being, you know, $75,000 over 10 years, which, you know, they're investing, they're investing in their local community, you know, they're at their food banks and their, their soup kitchen. And also the pastor can focus on his congregation, right. Mm -hmm. And then on sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, in terms of complexity of existing equipment. One of our customers is a school district in the Central Valley, and there they have a building energy management system. They have uh, Pelican thermostats. They have a controls contractor, and all of these systems are working together. And, you know, the the, the school is satisfied with the ability to, with how they interact with them today, but they're still paying a ton of money in, you know, Demand charges and time of use charges, because mm. the best a controls company can do today is set static timers and maybe change them every season. So we've installed and we are a layer on top of that existing equipment and those existing contractors to optimize their energy use dynamically and with the predictive controls. And so, yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of reality, it's not. Totally straightforward to enter someone else's territory yeah. and start singing kumbaya, but as as James likes to call it change management. Um yeah,
0: multi-stakeholder change management as well <laughs> before we hit record. <laughs>
2: exactly. So we explained that we are we are going to make the school even happier together, right? You know, they like setting their schedules through through this program, they like pushing the thermostats on on this. Brand of thermos, the teachers like this brand of thermostats and pushing the up and down button there. And they also want savings. schools are public schools, especially in this country are, you know, always looking for ways to save money on energy and spend more money on books. And so we enable that.
0: Absolutely. Cool. I'd love to hear just a little bit about how you guys message that to the existing stakeholders that are sort of responsible for those controls. So in the school district, you said controls contractor, but then there's also probably a facility staff, unlike at the at the church. So how do you sort of say this is the way that we're going to do things in Kumbaya? <laughs> uh the, the benefits of our software are additive
1: to any of the strategies that are already in place. We're not taking anybody's work away from them. It's a little bit of an educational sale because load flexibility is a new concept to a lot of these folks, but they're really smart about HVAC systems and about the notions that are behind controls. You know, So far, when we've had these interactions, we've found a new partner in most cases, because mm-hmm. the the folks who are already in, and school districts are a good example, if they're in one, they're in several within the state of California or elsewhere, and they're on the hook to deliver savings to their client, right? So we, we look at it as an opportunity to educate more of the market and work together to bring sort of these additive benefits to you know we're never going to put an outsourced facility manager from extensible energy on site at a school district but that's the business model of some of these other folks so it's a it's a complementary offering once you get the education piece taken care of and we're working again to make sure that gets communicated more clearly every time.
2: Well, and I want to just, I mean, I'm I'm really glad you asked that question, James, because you know, there is a whole ecosystem around buildings and it's just a controls contract. It's not any single person that we need to please, right? While we are demand side flexibility at its core, nobody wants to buy demand side flexibility. We have to Package that in a way that is appealing to all the different people in that in that ecosystem, and solve real pain points. You know, in the case of the controlled contractor, they don't want to be changing schedules every day. You know, that that's yeah. really that's not uh, a good economic value proposition for for them either. And so, so you know, they're happy to let us do that but I mean I'll, I'll just say you know when you're thinking about the ecosystem right there's there's the building owner there's the property manager the facility manager the tenants the financier and and you know we really have to speak to all of them and their their pain points and the things that they care about you know that's that's sort of how we have to speak to all the different people in the ecosystem how all of us like all of us in the industry have to speak to those people to yeah
0: especially as we scale down to the small building right because you're like you said you could have five people doing all those things then you could have one person doing doing all all five exactly cool um all right. Well, I love, I love the, I'm going to call it the simplicity quest that you guys are on for smaller buildings. The white paper that would have come out last month, it's, it, it unpacks the complexity stack for small buildings. So these are all the ways in which controls are too complex right now, and then That's right. proposes a simplicity stack. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. People can check that out. It sounds like you guys are already on the right track as far as like, let's remove all the complexity we possibly can. I'd love to hear what you guys, as we close out, what you guys are excited about for this coming year. Well, I'll just
1: say this is, this is just based on my earlier comment about what's changing in the industry. This is just a breakout year for us. 2022 is we finally, at the end of 2021, are seeing the market moving in the direction that we've been working towards. So timing seems just amazingly right at the moment. And I I think that the greater attention of the market on these critical problems is is dovetailing with our technical and staffing progress in, in a way that I was really you know, delighted to see in this last quarter. So I think it's a breakout year for load flexibility and hopefully for us as well.
0: Awesome. All right, how about you, Deepa?
2: Yeah, I mean, as John said, I love that demand-side flexibility is, is leaving the walls of um, the DOE and RMI <laughs> and coming into the real world and happy to, happy to be part of that wave. I'm also just excited about as I mentioned before, just democratizing energy management, I really think that every little building deserves the benefits of, you know, better control of their building, remote control. And the last thing I'm really excited about is working with all the really passionate people in the space who are, you know, working on their own little wedge of the solution, right? I mean, yeah. working on just one of them, but all of them are important to make our buildings, you know, more sustainable and healthier places for us to to live and work in, so.
0: That's a great mindset to close things out with.
2: John did prepare Two Truths and a Lie, if you're still doing well, that. They're I don't good.
0: care about that. You're excited like about you this, not me.
2: No, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs>
0: We, we don't typically do that when there's two, because I, I wouldn't want to hear them from him and not from you.
2: No, do it. Just do it for John.
0: All right, let's hear it. Well, I went back to my 30-year
1: history in the business and went over some of the things that I've done that I'm not going to say I'm proud of, but I think they're weird, weird enough to stump the audience. Okay. All right. While he was mayor of Oakland, I once lectured Jerry Brown on the future of energy in California. Okay. I led the team that put the first load shape on the internet. Okay. I once went to Amory Levins's house with a bunch of coal plant operators.
0: Wow. That is tough. Yeah, I'm gonna say are, two of
1: those are true.
0: <sighs> My gut is that the load shape one is false. It had the least amount of information. So
1: no, actually that one I believe to be true. It's hard to prove, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I did meet Jerry Brown, but believe me, if you have ever met
0: Jerry Brown, he lectured me on the future of energy in California, (laughs) not the other way around. (laughs) That would be, as a non-Californian, that would be a piece of information that I could have used that I didn't, didn't have. Okay, all right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again. You you can use that or not. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for both of you for for coming on.
1: Well, thanks for having us, James. This was really interesting. Good discussion. Looking forward to um, engaging with your audience.
0: All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.